is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For this episode, I chat with Chris Kukul, and we cover a little bit of everything. We talk about kindness, work ethic, mentors, and his journey to Beetlejuice. So I hope you enjoy part one with Chris Kukul. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe, and today with me on Zoom is Chris Kukul. Chris, thank you for joining me today. I'm so excited to chat with you. I, sure. I I want to talk about so much. Of course, Beetlejuice returning, very exciting. Uh, Broadway opening back up. But before we get there, I want to take it back to the beginning of time for Chris. What were your entertainment dreams growing up? Um, well, I um, I had sort of a strange path leading to where I, I ended up. Um, I. Uh, my career has been as a, as a music director, but I went to college as an actor. Um, okay. I grew up playing piano and singing in choirs. And so I learned music um, uh, that way. Um, also doing lots of school plays and, and plays in, in my neighborhood with the other kids. And I would force them to be in, you know, productions of The Sound of Music. And, um, and then I would put, once I got into high school, then I started assembling like, uh, quartets with like singer friends and I would <laughs> I loved I love teaching people harmonies <laughs> yeah. so I would love to get friends together and then you know teach them so that ended up being kind of the the path that I ended up um and I knew uh in 1987 I was in junior high school and my mom took me to uh we went to New York for the first time and I saw the musical Big River, which is the musical uh, of Huckleberry Finn. And uh, it was my first Broadway show. And I I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew that that was the world that I wanted to end up in. Um, and then so from that, from that time forward, it was just uh, sort of a singular focus. So what was this conversation with yourself or with parents as you decided to pursue entertainment or a, a job or a field or a path or career. What did that look like? How did that form? Uh, you know, I, there wasn't a specific conversation because I think I had been doing it in, um, I had been doing it enough and in drips and drops that it just seemed like what, it was clear what my interests were. Um, you know, I guess, the, I guess, uh, the conversation about go what college I was going to and what I was going to study in college, um, it was never. It, it always just kind of seemed doomed, you know. It, clearly, the thing I loved doing, and and um, it was, you know, my parents were, were supportive, and um, my my mom actually played the piano and and had a you know very deep love of the arts, and um, so it, uh, uh, it it wasn't. It was never hard. It was never hard. Yeah. I'm, I'm lucky. I'm lucky that way. Yeah. It's always so interesting because no two people have the same path in, in entertainment in general, <laughs> sure. particularly in theater. And yeah. I'm, I'm curious, what did your parents teach you about work ethic? Um, work very hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I'm from, I'm from the Midwest. I grew up in Ohio and, um, my, my mom's side of the family, they were like, you know, from rural Ohio and from, you know, generations of farmers in Ohio, which that is, I mean, a ridiculous work ethic. And my dad's side of the family, 
they were from Cleveland, which was, you know, the big city. Um, and they were Eastern European immigrants who were, um, you know, steel mill workers um, who then ended up, uh, my grandfather ended up o- opening a grocery store. Mm. Um, so, so their work ethic was always, uh, on both sides of the family, it was always instilled in us how, how important it is to, to work hard and, and to do a job completely and fully um, and to not cut corners and, um, and, and uh, that, that thing has paid off. It's a really, really important lesson. Um, and I, I, I tend to gravitate towards people who, um, who, who have learned that lesson and not the people who didn't learn the lesson. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah. I'm curious, you know, when you're working on a project, any project, yeah. um, it, it, there are difficult times. You come up against um, issues, walls, what have you. What is your self-talk as you decide to push through or muscle through and complete a job, is there any particular conversation you're having with yourself or are you just, just doing? Um, I it's, it's in the doing that you get through. I think that Hmm. if I generally don't consider, um, there's no other option besides seeing it through. So I don't, um, because that option's not on the really on the table, you know, it, it's it almost makes it um, it makes it easier to to tolerate things that are that seem insurmountable, um, and you know sometimes you you fail in it and sometimes you don't, um, but you you just have to you have to get there. How how whatever that means, you know. Right. Um, yeah. Right. When you when you lose focus, if you lose focus, how do you get back yeah. on track? That's a, that's a good question. Um, I, I, just reminding yourself what, what the goal is and what you're trying to do, you know, in like a, in a very, in a micro sense, if you're like working on a song, if I'm, you know, orchestrating a piece of music and I, and I sort of go down a path that is wildly off from where things should be. And I, I know that that's happening. You just have to like take a step back and remind yourself what is, in terms of that song, what is the story you're telling? What is the end goal of this piece of music? What's it trying to accomplish? And when you remind yourself of that goal, it brings you back on track. And it's the same thing in a macro sense in life, mm. always reminding yourself what that goal is. And that brings you back in line. Yeah. And I, I asked these questions because and I'm going to preface it at the beginning of this episode that anyone has to, they have to listen to the whole soundtrack of Beetlejuice because the level of creativity <laughs> where the mind goes as I'm listening to it and the sounds that I'm hearing. Oh. There's so, it's so eclectic, but it works so well. Yeah. So that's why I'm really getting to the nitty gritty here. No, I love it. I love it. I mean, it's true. I mean, Beetlejuice, because the the world and the character, the, the DNA of that story is wild in itself and so eclectic that the music had to... Um, the the orchestration had to be insane. It had to it had to just draw on so many different styles and tones and instruments, and um, otherwise you re- really wouldn't have done justice to that universe. Was it ever overwhelming? Oh yeah, always. <laughs> but it was never. It was uh, Eddie Perfect, who's the composer, is like the most wonderful person, and the 
he's an amazing composer. He's an amazing musician. Um, and being able just to spend time with him is, is always a gift. Um, so even when it was overwhelming, it was always a pleasure. You know, it was never, it was never drudgery. It was the whole, the whole team, the whole process, the cast, the creatives, everybody always had so much fun working on it that it was never, ever a burden. And for people listening, music supervisor, orchestrator, co-arranger, and conductor of Beetlejuice. Yep. Do you and, have well, and, and incidental music, right? And incidental well. music. Yes, incidental music. <laughs> now this might answer you might have already answered my next question. I'm curious, was there a most enjoyable part of that project? Was it the incidental music? Was it a particular uh, song? No, I mean, enjoyable. I, this is a cliched answer. For, if you ask any orchestrator, they will always say the same thing, but the most enjoyable moment is the sits probe. And for, uh, the, that term is the, there's one rehearsal where the orchestra and the cast come together for the very first time. Mm. Um, and it's, you sing through the score of the show. Usually there's a, you know, the rest, the the rest of the creative team, the producers, people are there to watch. There's a small audience, um, but the orchestra, the the musicians have never heard the or I mean, the cast has never heard the orchestra. The orchestra has never heard the cast, and to hear mm. it all together um, is it like a, it's an amazing day, and it's always an amazing day um, when you're working on a show. So. Um, I mean, it's a, it, you know, it's an obvious answer, but that's, that's the most magical. It, well, it is, well, cause it is, it's all of the work culminating with the voices and yeah. it's, you know, it's the first time the two yeah. have a marriage. Um, yeah. Is there a particular project you've worked on that has taught you a significant amount about yourself? Um, I, I, I think every project does teach you about yourself. Every job that you do, you learn what, where your deficits are, you know, where this, what your, what is, what comes easy to you and what comes hard to you. Um, and you, as you go through life, you start to fill in those gaps a little bit. And every time the, the spots that you don't know end up being scrubbed away a little bit. Um, I think the, the, Gosh, the thing that I've learned the most, uh, I mean, I, you know, the Beetlejuice experience because I did wear so many hats yeah. and that was the first time I think I've done that many jobs in one thing on such a big scale. Um, I, I probably learned the most yeah. th through that, through that whole process. I mean, it was a, you know, it was a, basically at this point a six year process. So um, it's a long, a long journey. Yeah, I'll say. Um, and thank you. I appreciate the jumping around here today. I'm curious if yeah. you could, uh, and I hope it's not too much, the yeah. connection and the journey to joining Beetlejuice. What did that look like for you? Um, so I was brought on board by Alex Timbers, um, who is the director. And Alex Timbers um, came up with the, his idea of a Beetlejuice musical that he pitched to Warner Brothers maybe 10 years ago. And there were multiple writing teams that he met with and you know they wrote some demos and um wrote some spec scripts but he ultimately um landed with um anthony king scott brown and eddie perfect and uh sorry let me go back a second i, I was the 
music director of a place called the Williamstown Theater Festival, which is a theater festival in the Berkshires, a summer theater. It's been there for 60 years. Um, and I was there for 10 years. Um, and they have a directing intern program. And in 2005, I, my first summer there, I was very young. Alex Timbers was a directing intern. Um, so we met there um, and became and have worked together on lots of projects ever since. Um, so he, so through that relationship, he brought me, he introduced me to Eddie. Eddie met um, Eddie because he was from Australia, didn't know a lot of New York music directors. And so Alex set him up on some blind dates with people. Um, so we went and uh, met for coffee <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I guess, we were worked out. Um, and then we, uh, I remember going to a hotel room in Midtown where Eddie, Scott, and Anthony had, uh, they had finally, they had written their first full draft of the script. Eddie had a bunch of songs and they, for, for me and Alex and a couple of people from Warner Brothers, they read through the whole show. Eddie sang all the songs, they read the script. Um, and that was the first, uh, first step. And then from there, we did um, a reading with actors. Hmm. Um, that was probably maybe, maybe about six months after that first read through. Um, and then had maybe five or six developmental labs after that until our tryout in DC hmm. and then and to Broadway. And there was no shortage on material. If I'm, if I remember correctly, had you guys written a solid... <laughs> four hours uh, I, or more I, that's true that first the first workshop so the way um so when you do readings in new york the the union allows you to do what they call 29 hour readings which is you are given actors for you have one week you have 29 hours of work time subtract from that the two hours of the actual presentation right mm -hmm. so now you're down to 27 hours so in 27 hours you have to teach the entire score um, you have to stage it, meaning just telling people where they're standing up or sitting down. And they're, it's, they're, they're really kind of a nightmare. Yeah. And everyone is in a panic for a week. We also had a full band, which was crazy. Because a lot of times you will do 20-hour reading just with a piano. But, sure. but we want, <laughs> you know, just, just to make it really, really hard on ourselves. We had a full band. Um, and we got, so we started rehearsing on Monday. On Wednesday afternoon, we ran, we started at the top, after lunch, we started at the top of the show and we're gonna run the whole show and then be done in dinner time. By the time we got to dinner, we weren't even three quarters of the way through the show. It was like a five hour extravaganza. And so we got to the end of the day, had to release the actors and went back to Alex's apartment and just had to cut the show in half. <laughs> <laughs> and then it showed up on Thursday morning and had to reteach this new show to the entire, to then do a presentation on Friday. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of, uh, it was, a, it was like, you know, there, Eddie actually released a whole album of songs that were cut from Beetlejuice because there were so many yeah. um, that you could make a whole other musical just of the songs that he, he cut. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. 
Join Clay next week for another Curiosity Conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening. 